Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, Tim, good to have you on here. I realized that we've been attempting to actually like have a phone conversation and we haven't been able to connect. <laughs> so this, this seems as good a place as any to uh, catch up finally. Absolutely. Uh, it's it's fun to be on with you. First time in a while. And uh, thanks in advance for the uh, the work you're doing, both giving me basketball stuff to listen to and with the uh, the coronavirus pod. So thanks for that. Well, thank And likewise, part of the reason I wanted to have you on was to talk about your work with Brian Windhorst on what the NBA is doing to try to get back to actually playing games. So just to, as a general overview, how would you characterize the state of their efforts right now to get back to play? I would say, Nate, that the league is um, really focused on trying to find a way to finish out this season, right? And, and I think that goes for both the league and the players. Um, you know, Both sides want to get back on the court. They want to generate the revenue that would come from getting back on the court. And I think everybody genuinely wants to finish out the season, right? Like the NBA, I think in its whole history, going back to 1946 or seven, whatever year officially it started with the BAA, it's always had a champion. It's always finished its season, even when there was lockout shortened seasons. Um, I, I think the league would like to be able to say that it finished out this season um, and had a champion, especially since it got through three quarters of the regular season, right? It's not like a situation like baseball or you know maybe football in the fall where you haven't started your season yet. The NBA is almost all the way to the end of the regular season as we both know um or at least within you know sight of the finish line anyway and uh I, I think everybody is committed to trying to find you know the optimal way forward to allow for this season to finish out and and for uh you know things to progress at least somewhat like they were supposed to so as best as you're able to understand i know some of this is going back over what you had in that article but sure. what do you think is their best thought right now on what that plan would consist of well i mean it's it's a little complicated um because there's so much we don't know right now about what the kind of and, and you know this better than anybody what the the track of this virus is going to be right um and, and i think really that is kind of the guiding principle of all of this is that the league has made it very clear that they're not going to come back before at least wherever they're playing there's enough of a um there's enough infrastructure in place from a, a testing standpoint and from a, a public health standpoint to withstand them being able to play, right? And so for me, the first thing I look at every day is Nate Silver puts out a tweet sometime in the five o'clock hour uh, with the information from the COVID-19 tracker site that has the daily number of tests recorded in it. And that to me is the key number for anybody who wants to have basketball or any other sport come back. And I know you obviously have focused on this a ton on the COVID pod, but I think that is the number that the NBA is looking at more than anything else. And if that number, you know, right now it's in the 300,000 range. I think it's starting to creep into that range every day anyway. That needs to get a lot higher, I think, before the NBA comes back. But beyond that, 
what seems pretty clear is that if, th if this is going to happen, whether it's going to be in a single site or maybe in a couple of sites, this is going to be a very limited um, situation in terms of the number of places the league is going to be set up. This isn't going to be, well, every team is going to come back and be playing at home in their arena, even with no fans or playing in the practice facilities. It seems very likely this is going to be some kind of a centralized situation where you can bring, you know, whether it's, you know, eight or 10 or 15 or 30 or whatever, how many teams together in one spot uh, to both limit the amount of travel the teams have to make uh, and also to allow for as you know as structured of a situation as possible to do the requisite testing and have the necessary measures to keep the virus out and allow for play to continue yeah you mentioned this idea that they're they'll need 15,000 tests if they're gonna have just a, about, just yeah no I just was gonna say just to be clear I uh, Adrian actually is the one who reported that oh my bad yeah just just want to give him credit for it but yeah yeah, that DC said he said a couple of times that the league thinks it needs to have fifteen thousand tests to uh, pull whatever they decide to pull off. Off. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned the idea of, of the national testing, and I thought it was interesting though that especially in Orlando, which is one of the places they're talking about doing this potentially, Walt Disney World, there's been a lot of enthusiasm by the authorities. It seems like where it's like, yes, hey, anyone who wants a test can get one here and you know the magic have now tested asymptomatic people they've also it seems like the league's new policy and you can correct me if i'm wrong here is well if the jurisdiction says that they have enough tests where it's okay to test asymptomatic people uh where you know because then once you get to asymptomatic people you're basically going into uh, you know there isn't a clinical reason to be testing this person right. right now because they have symptoms um but if the local jurisdiction says it's okay to do that you can do that is that kind of your understanding of where the league is now yeah i thought i think to your point and that's why i said before uh when i i kind of added that part about if there's enough local testing right because that that was a real notable shift. So I guess about 10 days ago now, right around the start of May, I reported that the league sent out a memo saying that um, teams were instructed not to give tests to players or staff who are asymptomatic, right? Just to your to your point, obviously, that what the league does not want to do is be in the situation it was in back in March when right after the Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell positive tests, all the teams that had played the Jazz right before that went out and got tested, right? And there was some blowback to NBA teams being able to go get tests uh, when regular people could not. Whether that was fair or not is a whole nother matter, but that's the reality of the situation, right? And the league did not want that to happen again. Um, and I thought it was a very notable shift that a week later, as they were opening these facilities, Adrian Wojnarowski uh, reported that the league had shifted that, to your point, to if the local municipality had enough testing, then you could test asymptomatic players and staff in their locale, in that locality. And that was true in LA. It was also true in Orlando. I think you might've said some other places. And the, the thing that the NBA has to navigate here um, is that they would like that public testing number to go way up like I think you and I and a lot of other people would right but we're also dealing with a lot of external factors here that the league has no control over for instance whether the political system will generate the ability to create more tests and have more tests available right um so if the number tops out at 450,000 nationally or 500,000 nationally um you know that if the NBA has said hey we're only going to do this if we can get to you know whatever everybody anywhere needs a test can have a test say that's 2 million tests well then do you not come back for a year and a half then right so i 
think what they're trying to do is find a happy medium where they can kind of look at the situation on the ground and figure out, all right, we can get to a place where if there's enough testing in, say, Orlando at Walt Disney World, hey, we can do it here. Um, maybe there ends up, testing goes up into the seven figures nationally, and then, you know, they're going to be comfortable doing it anywhere. But I, I think all this stuff comes back to whether it's in a local situation or a national situation, there being enough testing capacity that the league, you know, especially if it augments it some, say they buy some extra tests or wherever they're at or whatever, they can go into a municipality and say, we feel comfortable that we can put on this event without taxing the local healthcare system uh, and and putting undue pressure on it that wouldn't be there if we weren't here playing. Yeah, that all seems to make sense to me. Um, the idea of quote-unquote enough testing, right? I think as long as they, and, and I, I'm not criticizing this at all, I think I would be doing the same in their situation, but as long as I think they can get the political cover of, yes, at least anyone who's symptomatic in this area can get a test and that therefore them testing people who are asymptomatic as long as they're not taking away tests from people who are symptomatic that seems like it'll probably be enough for them and i think it probably should be enough because yes this is a more public business than a lot of businesses but any business a, a factory anybody who's trying to reopen and have some economic activity in areas that are reopening i'm sure that every factory owner i mean i don't think there's a lot of manufacturing in the orlando area but you, you get my thought here that right or a distribution or whatever they were gonna would love to get tests to asymptomatically test all, all of their people too and they're not really any different than the nba is they're all just economic activities unless you're talking about an essential business so right. why shouldn't the nba be able to try to use whatever private methods that it can to get testing when you know, any other business would be able to do the same yeah, no, I, I think that's right. And and I, I think the only thing I would add to that is it, it's it's both symptomatic people uh, and frontline workers, right? Yeah. They don't want to be seen taking away tests from doctors and nurses and other people who need them on a deal. And like, I mean, you've talked about a lot on the other pod, like these people working in factories and working in meatpacking plants, I mean, they all count, like that's probably in a similar vein, right? Like if, they, if you can go into a, a locality or a municipality and say, everybody here who needs testing can get tested, we'll even help with that. Um, I, I think that will, you know, I think that will give them some runway to play. And and look, I, I think it's safe to say that whenever these leagues come back, there are go there is going to be a segment of people who criticize them no matter what, right? And say that um, it's not the right thing to do. But I, I think from the league's perspective, they're going to be looking at it as if that's a small, you know, a vocal minority, that's or a, a small vocal minority, that's one thing. If it's, you know, a ton of people, then that's a different thing. And I think that's where the, I think that's where the testing part comes in. Because to me, we'll probably get into this after. I think personally, Personally, and I've said this a few times, I think the logistics of doing this are not that, I shouldn't say not that complicated. I think they're very doable for the league. I mean, the NBA puts on events of all kinds of sizes and all kinds of places. Um, so I think they can put this thing together and and it's, and make it happen. Um, but I think obviously you have to deal with a lot of these external factors first before you can then get down to, all right, now that, now we have the infrastructure in place to do this. Now we have to actually put on the event and Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone 
is the same and then she did some more research and found helix sleep we took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types and uh, helix offers 20 unique matches every sleeps differently and helix matches are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences hot or cold side sleeper back sleeper so take that helix sleep quiz find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep I'm like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that 100 night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us man i just love american giant just an amazing clothing company i was reminded again of how much i love it when i drove from california to montana over the all-star break and you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas you're like well i don't want to wear like my jacket in the car but then i get out to fill gas I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. And things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout easy remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us so two other components here that i think uh, are interesting you know there's that fifteen thousand test number that to me is an admission that there's probably still going to be community transmission wherever they do this right i mean if you didn't have community transmission in orlando then you wouldn't have to worry about uh, hopefully people getting sick and you wouldn't necessarily need this crazy amount of tests but they're not willing to completely seal things off because there's players families and anyone else they want to hang out with you know the the optics of that 
are bad the players aren't going to want to do that and so the only other way around it is just testing people essentially constantly because someone right. could be walking in with the virus at any time yeah i mean i think that you know in talking to a lot of epidemiologists you know between brian and myself for this story including carl bergstrom who's been on your other pod you know really this this comes down to two things right how much testing are you going to be able to do and how much risk are you willing to take right yes. those are the two those are the two things that you have to judge when you're put whenever and that's this like you said before this goes for any business right this goes for bringing the nba back this goes for opening a restaurant or uh an office space anywhere right those are the two things that any business owner is going to have to judge in deciding whether the uh the situation is right for their business to return um and, and that's what the nba is going to ultimately have to do and you know look the gold standard, you know, Carl said this for our story, the gold standard is to test every day, right? In theory, you would just test everyone every day. And then if somebody, show, you know, gets the virus, you can, you know, immediately you pull them out, you can keep going without much trouble then really you can just isolate people you catch it very early you can do all that stuff and you could probably go through and be all right if you have less testing then you can if you can only test once every few days or once a week or once every 10 days then you get into more of a gray area about you know if you don't catch something soon enough it then spreads to people right there's obviously a higher risk then of the virus getting into the population so those are the two things that really this comes down to for any business including the nba it's it's risk tolerance and it's the amount of available testing and if you tell me, you know, what your answers are to those two questions, I'll tell you whether the NBA or any other business is going to be able to come back to work anytime soon. Yeah, you can also throw in there as a subcomponent of that the quality of the testing, yes. both, in, both in terms of false negatives, which uh, for a lot of these uh, nucleic acid tests uh, right now, and I, I'm guessing that it will probably be a lower percentage of false negatives because you, you won't have, people will get used to doing it. You're not going to have kind of user error yeah. that, that's going to cause a, a false negative. But you know we've seen as high as 30% false negatives. So that means you need to do more testing as well. And then you know, there's talk about antigen testing, which might might be able to detect someone who uh, had been exposed to the virus and was infected within a couple of days. We still don't know exactly how long it takes. It's going to vary from person to person of how long between getting infected before you're going to actually show up positive on a test. So, so those are some of the variable, variables as well. They can get more accurate testing, easier testing. Some of that stuff is starting to uh, at least uh, come online now to some degree. It's being developed. We'll see how it scales. Yep. That can make this thing easier as well um to the to the risk standpoint that you're talking about adam silver had that call with the players association on friday it seemed to me like he was indicating that if someone does test positive they're not that's not necessarily going to mean we're going to stop this whole thing yeah and again i think that comes down to the amount of testing you're doing right like i think if you're testing a lot and and you know if not every day but close to every day i think if you catch it soon enough you probably can isolate the people who are sick and you probably can keep going right um, but but again, like it that that to me, it, you know, I, I probably sound like a broken record to people listening, but that I, I just can't emphasize enough that that is really the key to all this stuff is if you are going to come back and do this to me, I would be testing every day or if not every day, every other day. And because to me, that's the only way you can do this, because if you if you come back and you have somebody test positive and you stop the whole thing for two weeks, then you start again. Like if you start doing that, this could take seven months to just even do the playoffs. Yeah. And, right? and it's a public relations disaster. Right that happens right. as well i think you're i think i've said this just about the economy at large once you try to restart and then you have to stop again yep that's like 
what really is going to screw with future consumer confidence, right? And whether it's yep. the league's TV partners or you're buying TV commercials or sponsorships going forward, and you're like, oh, wait, you just had to stop again. At least now, like before you've started, you can at least still have this idea of like, okay, when we start, like it's full bore, it's going to happen for sure. You can trust us. If they have to stop again, that's when it's really going to hit the fan. Well, and imagine if you if you are in a situation where you have players quarantined, right? And say they think they're going to be there for three months, and then people test positive and you stop for two weeks, and then people test positive and you stop for two weeks, and they're there for five months, right? Or six months. Well, you know, that, that's that got a cascading effect on uh, your relationship with them too, right? Beyond the fact that they're going to be upset that you're not able to keep this as a safe environment. So I... I think obviously the imperative is for the league to have as few or any people test positive, period. But beyond that, I, I think when you look at the bigger picture, you know, it is in the league's interest, or like you said, as, as in any business's interest, to once they start, show that they have the ability to continue on um, and, and keep things progressing to avoid having that situation where you have then people piling on you saying, why did you come back in the first place? Clearly you weren't ready to do that. Um, not even endangered all your players for what point. Um, you know, that opens up a whole can of worms that makes it, you know, really, really difficult for them to accomplish what they hope to. Yeah, and I think if someone does test positive, it's going to depend who it is. And then it's going to depend how many other people test positive after that, right? I mean, you might have a protocol in place, and especially if the science evolves between now and then of, okay, let's say it's it takes three days between getting infected before you test positive. Maybe there's a protocol of like, okay, you get one infection on a team. We can pause this for three days and we're going to keep testing everyone else. And then if it, if we get everyone else negative, then we can resume. Right. Um, you know, maybe, and out three days, I don't know that that's the number necessarily. Uh, you know, that's going to depend on what the science is. You know, that's not necessarily two weeks, but you know, the two weeks, part of the reason that number came in is because there wasn't enough testing. And so you're like, all right, well, how long is it going to take for symptoms to happen and you know the development of symptoms was really what you would have to look at rather than right. the testing now that you can test it it can be uh you can be a little more specific. so it's going to p- depend whether you see like a secondary outbreak on a team and then also who it is right if it's Taylor horton tucker all right play on if it's lebron james eh. i'm not sure i agree with that part i mean just go back no. go we'll go back to last year's nba finals right like people get hurt like this is not this is not an injury right but it's yeah but people see it totally differently I, i'm not to me than an injury like that's part of the game right this is not part of the game i understand that i'm just saying i, I think you know it may play out that way and that this is obviously we're into the, the land of hypotheticals here right we're like who sure. knows how this stuff would play out but i I think to your point, if the league comes back, I think it's going to come back and the games are going to go on as scheduled. And I, I don't, I don't think that I personally don't think that they would be stopping it and saying, all right, if, you know, second round pick tail and Horton Tucker gets sick, we're going to keep playing. And if it's LeBron, we're not going to keep playing. I, I think I, I I don't, I personally don't know. I just think that it also would be, I think, a pretty bad look optically if Taylor Horton Tucker got sick and they kept playing and LeBron got sick and they didn't, like later, say, right? Um, and, yeah. but, but these are all, again, this is all very hypothetical and it's hard to know for sure. I personally think that they would treat it like injuries and it would be unfortunate, but you would keep playing. But that's, if the NBA, I hope 
personally that I shouldn't say I hope for that. If the NBA, if the NBA is to that point, then obviously things are far different than they are now. And we're, um, you know, there's actually basketball back. We're obviously yeah. so and, far and, now and from and that. It depends, way down it depends where you're at too, right? If it's, if they've done the whole playoffs and you get to the finals and this happens and it's like okay finally this happened but we managed to do it safely for two months before this yes. as opposed to it happening in the first week and it's like you couldn't even keep these dudes safe for four days <laughs> yeah obviously that that is a factor too and it, it, you know that's but these are you know these are all difficult questions and this is why this whole thing is very complicated not just for basketball but for baseball and all these sports right like there there's a lot of stuff that these that they have to think about because in theory you're going to have to go into this thing with a very clear plan of what you're going to do. And I would think they'd have to spell out to teams ahead of time. Hey, if a player gets sick, here's what we're going to do, right? This is not, to me, this is not a thing that they can, like, you're right. Maybe in the finals, it's different. I would have to think you're going into this thing with a very clear battle plan of here's exactly what happens if somebody gets sick across the board, right? So everybody is on the same page and everybody knows right from the beginning, okay, somebody gets sick, here's the protocol, here's how we're going to handle it. Because I think otherwise you open yourself up to yet another Pandora's box of all kinds of stuff um with you know teams complaining to the league everything else it, it could really become a mess so you know th- this is going to have to this is one of many things that the league is going to have to have buttoned up and totally figured out um if they want to come back to play and do so under a system that everybody can agree on and everybody thinks is equitable and fair yeah if a player does test positive i mean the protocol is going to have to be some kind of a pause at least until you know that everyone else on the team doesn't have it like they can't play another game with players who may or may not have the virus and now you're playing a whole game against another team like they, they just they can't do that yeah you wouldn't think so i mean look we also could be in a situation where two months from now because this is probably the earliest it could really realistically be right is sometime in july yeah. We could be in a situation two months from now where we have a way better understanding and you know much sooner about test results and you can like maybe we'll know a lot more then, right? I, I don't yeah. I don't I'm not saying we will or that it's po- or that that's even probable, but we're given it was two months ago today or yesterday that the league shut down, right? So think about how much has changed in the past two months. We could have a lot more change in the next couple months and we could be in a much more informed situation. But yeah, look, I, I think expecting there to be I think it would be reasonable to assume there'd be some kind of at least short break uh, to make sure that you have your hands around the whole situation before you restart it again. Um, just like you said, you obviously don't want to go from a situation where you have one guy get sick, then have 30 guys get sick or 20 guys get sick or whatever. That's obviously not um, an acceptable outcome either. So yeah, I mean, I, I think that's logical to think that there'd have to be at least a short break to make sure that everybody's all right. Yeah, and hopefully the way you're doing it when you come to this conclusion with the Players Association of how you're going to do it, you say, okay, this is the plan. If someone gets sick like are you guys bought in on this that this is what we're going to do players association you want to hire your own experts so you kind of have informed consent about what this is going to be and and then we're going to try to stick to this plan if we can't agree on that then we can't do it you know because i mean again there's the risk of getting into that situation and having to stop i think is just so massive um yeah yeah i I was just going to say i I agree with you completely and i I think one underrated thing that has you know has hasn't been necessarily discussed a lot is just how good the relationship is between the league and the players right now. Um, it's probably the best, it, it, you know, it's certainly in my decade covering the league, it's the strongest it's ever been. Might be the strongest it's ever been, just in general. Yeah. Um, the players like Adam Silver. I think they respect him. I think they trust him. Um, the, the last CBA negotiation went off without really
really a hitch at all, um, was completed well before uh, it even got remotely close to any kind of lockout slash strike situation. Um, you know, there's good labor. The labor situation right now is great. Even amid all this stuff, there hasn't really been, like you've seen in baseball, there's been a lot of frustration with stuff that yeah. hasn't been the case here. The football players uh, just had their, they had a you know fairly contentious CBA negotiation just recently, uh, earlier this year, actually, they just signed a new deal. Um, and like you, like you were just talking about there, Nate, that, that relationship I think is really important because if you are going to come back here, you're going to have to have everybody buy into doing it and be on the same page and trust that, all right, we're going to go do this, but the league is going to make sure that we're in as safe a situation as possible. And I think if you go into those discussions with a strong level of trust, uh, right from the beginning, I think your chance of getting to that end point where everybody can, you know, look each other in the eye across the table and say, all right, this is the best we can do. This is worth doing and worth trying. Um, I think it makes it that much easier to get to that point as opposed to, you know, if this had happened 10 years ago, say, right, uh, the situation, the relationship between the two sides was far different. And I think it would have been a lot more difficult to get to that end point where everybody could, you know, have trust that this was the right path forward. Yeah, you know, I I can't remember where it was, but I think there was even an anonymous quote from a player basically like, yeah, we trust Adam. Like he's not going to put us uh, in danger. But that aside, do you think in the people that you've talked to, do you think there is any kind of an element among the players of like, hey, you know what? This just isn't worth it. It's too risky. I can't. I can't say for sure that there is or is, that there is or is not. Um, but I do think that the vast, at least the vast majority of players, I think, want to come back and play. Because um, I think everybody in the league wants to come back. Like I think, I think the general NBA populace is like the general populace at large, right? Like people want to get back to life as it was before. Now, obviously, we're far away from that happening, and we need vaccines, and we need uh, you know increased testing and all kinds of stuff. But I think in general, players want to play and they want to get back on the court and do what they've always done and get you know a lot of guys have been cooped up in their apartments for weeks now or if not months um you know i think i think most people would be excited about the opportunity to come back and play and i think you've seen that pretty uniformly across the board i think you know chris paul's basically said that lebron has said that um you know guys who've, who've spoken up have said like they've they've also added that it needs to be safe we need to be in a situation where you know we're not putting ourselves at undue risk but pretty much everybody he says, I want to come back and play. Um, now, you could be in a situation where, you know, Steve Kerr obviously made headlines a week or two ago now saying that the Warriors are acting like their season is over. Um, I think if you are if you have teams that are way out of the mix, I think that might be, uh, you know, I could see that potentially being a situation where yeah, some people... Yeah, that's why I think they should be doing something where there is some sort of a chance for, for every team, but it just seems like they're not even thinking about going that way. Uh, yeah, I mean, look... I so in in the story you referenced that we that Brian Winhorse and I did we we went and talked to a dozens of people to figure out exactly how many people would need to be uh, needed for a single site setup, right? And both before that story, during it, and after, I just kept coming back to the same thing, which is that the thing that makes the most sense to me, if you're just laying this out, is to start with the playoffs and just do the 16-team playoffs, one to eight, just like it always has been, four seven-game series rounds, um, and just play it out. You could do that in less than two months if you have a day off in between every game. Um, If you're in one site, you don't have to worry about travel or any of that 
kind of stuff. So you could condense, you know, if one series ends, you could wait a day, you could wait a day and start the next one, all that kind of stuff. Um, so to me, that made the most, that's always made the most sense for a couple reasons. One is every two weeks, you're cutting the number of people in half that are, that have to be in the one location, right? So that means less testing is needed. You have less chance of uh, the virus getting in. You can, you know, more securely uh, have a handle on that, that number of people that are there. And the other thing is it eliminates any of the issues of teams that don't have anything to play for, uh, you know, having to worry about going and having a three-week training camp to play five or six meaningless games, right? Like, I, I think the idea of finishing out the 82-game regular season, I think, is hard to see any way of that happening. Yeah. So if you're going to come back and have everybody play five to ten games uh, over a, you know, two to th- five-week period, say, um, it's just hard for me to see how you can, like, even if you want to say there's going to be some kind of play playing tournament at the end of it. Um, I just think it's hard. I think it gets a lot more difficult to add all those non-playoff teams in. And it also just vastly increases the number of people that are there. So I personally think the the playoff only format is the one that logically makes the most sense because it addresses both those issues um, in the the cleanest way possible. Yeah. And also the shorter amount of time you're there, the shorter amount of time there is for someone in a player's family to go out in the community and get coronavirus and transmit it to that player. And then he transit like, like you're just the shorter amount of time you're there. If you're starting off from a baseline of, all right, we've tested every single person and we know they don't have it. The longer you're there, the longer the chance uh, there is for, or, or the longer there is for that to change. Absolutely. And, and someone to get the virus if you're there for three months instead of two months. Absolutely. And I, and I think even, I think you even have a chance of saying to the players, look, we're going to have you in, say it's at Disney World. We're going to have you at Disney World. If you win the title from June 15th to August 25th at the absolute latest, we're not going to have family there. We're not going to have friends there. You're just going to be there for two months, right? I think it's one thing to tell people that they're going to go to someplace like that for two months. If you want to say it's going to be a pretty strict, you know, quarantine type situation, as opposed to like the baseball stuff that's been talked about, you know, you might be there from June until December, right? Like that, it's a, it's seven months or eight months or six months is far different than two months. And I I think even if you look at the 16, at the 16 team full playoff setup and say, all right, guys, listen, I know you don't want to be here without your friends and family, but for us to do this safely in the safest way possible, we need to have you all come here by yourselves with just the teams and knock this thing out. I think that I think that's a much easier sell than something that's, you know, if you, because even if you just include, even if you just finish the regular season, you add an extra four to six weeks and then you're up to four months. And I, I just don't think that's doable. Whereas two months, I think you can maybe get away with. Yeah, you, you mentioned that idea. I mean, clearly there's not going to be this idea of like, hey, you're straight up not allowed to leave. But do you think that's the way it's trending of no families, no friends, you're just there by yourself, even in uh, wherever you're staying? Or uh, it, are people not going to stand for that? I, I'm not sure it's trending either way yet, right? Because I, I think at this point, Nate, nobody has to make those kinds of calls, yeah. right? Like, and I, I think Adam Silver has been very smart in that he's really given himself a lot of wiggle room on this and he hasn't declared we're going to do any specific thing, right? Um, I, I think it's understandable that he's saying we don't want we don't want you guys to quarantine. I don't think anybody wants to make anybody quarantine like that. But um, I think that if you at least give yourself the, the opportunity to kind of sit down and say, all right, look, here 
here's our best plan. What do you guys think of this? You know, maybe the, I I think, I guess the, what I come back to is the less people that are in that bubble or in that single site situation, the better. And I, I think, yeah. you know, if you do that, you could have a situation where you have friends and family around or you have some family members there or whatever. Um, but obviously, ever, and, and you know this, anybody listening can kind of reasonably do the math. Every extra person you add to that situation um, only increases the risk of the virus getting into the into the pool, right? So I certainly wouldn't say anything is trending one way or another, but um, I, I think that we're, we still haven't gotten to the point where any hard decisions have to be made. And I think that's one of the conversations that will eventually end up having to happen um, whenever the league does really sit down and hammer out what it's going to look like when it comes back. Because, I mean, inevitably, it's just one of the things that you're going to have to discuss is, again, it goes back to the amount of testing and the amount of risk tolerance. Like, if you don't have family and friends there, the risk is lower. Um, but your, you know, your quality of life is lower. So but what is the balance? Also, if if I may, there's a uh, there's going to be a ton of public shame for whoever it is who first tests positive. Yes, that it's either they went out and did something, yes. or someone in their family or circle brought the virus to them, and that they didn't have that locked out. And like, can you imagine being the person? And, and I mean, I'm not a big fan of like just publicly shaming people for disease. Like, I don't. Well, think whether it's fair or not, whether it's fair yeah. or not, it's something to consider. Right. Yeah. I mean, we don't even know if Rudy Gobert, like Rudy Gobert might have got the virus from Donovan Mitchell. We don't even know. Yeah. Right. But it doesn't matter because he tested positive first. Yeah. Right? And he was also was no, I, publicly I, no, doing I, shit. Yeah. No, I understand. I'm just saying. But he set himself up. No, he did. Yeah. No, he did. I, I'm not trying to absolve Rudy Gobert. I'm just saying, I'm just agreeing yeah. with your point. Right. That like wherever yeah. he got the virus from, it doesn't really matter. He's the first one whose name came out. And in this situation, the same thing would happen again, especially if the league had to shut down. Say it had to shut down for two weeks. Right. Yeah. That would, that would be a total mess. And the league doesn't want to have that happen. So, um, yeah, no, I, I, again, I just, it's one of those things where you have to look at the, the bigger picture and say, all right, like, what are we, what are we prioritizing in terms of importance, right? Is it more important to have, uh, our family here and, and friends here and be able to move around a bit? Or is it more important to, um, limit that number of people who are here as much as possible and try to be as strict as we can and trying to keep the virus out? I'm not trying to make any judgments on what's more important. I'm just saying that that's, that's yeah. the kind of calculus that has to go into these kind of decisions about when the league what you know when the league is going to come back what that structure is going to look like how you know if it is a single site how you know how sturdy that bubble is how much testing all that stuff it all it all kind of flows into the same central discussion about how you're going to go about proceeding trying to open back up and play anyone who's seen our youtube videos knows that i don't wear formal stuff all the time so when it's time to dress up rather than dress down i highly recommend inochino they were the official outfitter of my wedding i got my tux from there all my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well i felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. 
and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Last question on this subject. Uh, I've been thinking about it. Uh, Danny and I talked about this, uh, I think, a couple weeks ago Mm -hmm. now. As of that time, when it seemed like the idea was, hey, we can't do this until there's enough testing for everyone in the nation. And there also wasn't a confirmation that if someone tested positive, they would try to continue. Right. I thought it was slightly more likely than not that they wouldn't have a conclusion to this season. Now, with those two factors where, okay, if it's just it's just based on the municipality and you you are going to be okay testing everyone as long as it's a, there's quote unquote enough in the municipality and it seems like they have a determination to move on if someone does test positive i would probably move that more now to where i think it is uh slightly more likely than not that they're able to actually pull this off and that doesn't necessarily account for the possibility that they try to do it and then you know things go awry right um is that how you would see it? like what do you if you had to put a percentage chance on uh that they actually do restart things that they uh have a season this year what would you say your uh, best estimate is I know this is this is the anti wind horse right now with this, <laughs> with this question. Yeah, I'm I'm no I'm no Brian as we both know. I'm ha- I'm more than happy to to make predictions. Uh, I I feel confident the NBA is going to um is going to resume play at some point. Um, I, I don't know about a percentage, but I I think it's more likely than not for sure that yeah. they at minimum will try everything possible uh, to play, right? I mean, I guess you could have a situation where, you know, let's say they do try to bring guys back and during training camp, three guys test positive or five guys test positive for something and they have to abort. I mean, I guess that's possible. Um, but I think in the end, there's so much incentive here on all sides to try to come back and play, right? Like the players are looking at a situation where if they don't come back and play, they could lose a quarter of their salary or more. That's a factor. Um, I I think players want to, you know, especially these playoff teams, right? Like they want to try to see who is going to be a champion. Like I've seen recent talk within the past few days about how there'd be an asterisk for whoever wins. It's utter utter nonsense. There was no asterisk in 1999 when there was a 50 game season. There's no asterisk in 2012 when there was a 66 game season. And my opinion if you come back from this lockout or not lockout from this uh suspension of the season and you make it through a playoffs and you win a title under these circumstances how the hell could that be an asterisk like that's absurd like you the, the amount of mental fortitude it's going to take to come back and get through this stuff is immense so i i think that is nonsense so guys want to come back and play um so yeah i mean look there are a lot of yeah ex- well well to, to your point yeah, there if i may yeah uh a couple of things i mean number one this is an entertainment product so yes the question isn't is there going to be an asterisk it's will people watch it that's like the yes. that's the number one question and people and, will and, sure and, and people it. will watch it i mean 55 million people watch the nfl draft right people are going to be very excited to see live sports 
right? And it, it, I mean, imagine if the Lakers and Clippers play in the Western Conference Finals, right? Even if all the games are in Orlando. You know, people are going to be excited to watch Kawhi Leonard play against LeBron James and Paul George play against Anthony Davis right now. Like, that that's, that's everybody is desperate, who's a sports fan, is desperate to see live sports again. Um, it's why people are so into the last dance, right? It's like, it's something new and exciting to watch and different. And people can get into it. Um, so yeah, I look, I uh, to make a long story short, I think it is more likely than not the NBA comes back. I think they're going to do everything they can to come back and play. I think everybody's motivated to try to make that happen. And, um, you know, maybe stuff comes up and they're not able to finish if they do come back or whatever. But I, I feel very confident they're going to they're going to do everything in their power to um, to come back and play. And, and frankly, I think finishing out this season might be simpler than playing next season. Um, yeah. And Danny's mentioned and, that. On and the also, who's recently. going to buy it? Who's going to buy it that you can pull off next season if you can't even do this? Well, season? that that's certainly part of it, right? Where if you can't if you can't finish this one, how can you start the next one? I think that's part of it. Um, and also, like again, I, I think it's more likely than not this is going to be a you know one or two site thing. Whether it's just the playoff teams or you have some kind of short regular season, you're talking about a, a fairly contained thing, right? If you're trying to do a full 82 game season, you're not going to be able to have everybody stay in one place in theory for eight nine months, right? I mean, I guess you could have everybody go there with their families and like do try to take over some place, but like that, there's just so many more logistical challenges uh, that come with trying to restart next season on top of the fact that there could be, you know, a second wave of this virus that, um, you know, it really comes back in the fall, like with the Spanish influenza and other stuff and like really wreaks havoc that way. Um, so yeah, I, I think for a lot of reasons, I feel confident that the NBA is going to find a way to come back and, uh, or at least do everything it can and that uh, everybody, uh, everybody involved here is going to want to make that happen. You know, uh, the only way that could maybe change it with the asterisk is if the finals is Memphis against Orlando, <laughs> like just some like completely crazy result. But I, I especially with seven game series, I, I don't think that's going to happen. Let's uh, let's talk some like actual basketball. Please, here. You've let's been, do it. <laughs> you, you the last two years that you've been on Philly. Boston and Toronto more than anyone you live in, in Boston now mm-hmm. let's uh let's talk about how you would see uh, those matchups uh, playing out here Philly and Boston is slated to be the first round in the east and then Boston Toronto or Philly Toronto in the second round Boston Philly what, what do you see that series looking like well it's really funny you because I, I was thinking about this question earlier uh, before we came on the pod, and I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit, but if you think about the fact that the way this sets up right now, like you said, the Celtics and Sixers would play in the first round. Talk about a juicy first round matchup, especially if you come back and you just start with the playoffs and that's like the first game, right? That That's pretty wild. And then you add into that, like, I don't think Kevin Durant's going to play, but if he did come back for the playoffs, his first game would be against the Raptors, who is the team he got hurt against last year um, in a, a Nets-Raptors first round series. I, I don't think he's going to play. I don't think Kyrie Irving would play. So in that situation, I think Toronto would win pretty handily. Um, but it is kind of wild from a narrative standpoint to just think about what that would look like if it did come to pass that way. But to answer your question about Celtic Sixers, I think that Boston probably would rather see any team but the Sixers with the, maybe the exception of uh, the Bucs. Um, that's just a terrible matchup for the Celtics. As good as Boston is, um, and I think they're really, really good, uh, better than last year's team by a pretty good amount. Um, the size that Philly has has given them so much trouble this season. Uh, they don't 
have anybody to guard Joel Embiid, really. Um, even Al Horford is a load for them to deal with. Um, you know, Ben Simmons is a, another problem for them. They can take advantage of Kemba Walker. Uh, they, it's a really difficult matchup for them. Now, Philly doesn't have the advantage of playing at home at all. And we, you know, given how Philly's been below average on the road and the best team ever at home, it's kind of impossible <laughs> to know what they would look like in a neutral site situation, right? But assuming Ben yeah. Simmons... I, I mean, I think it hurts the team with home court advantage more. I, I Right. You would normally think so, for sure. Yeah. Um, to, to not have fans. And, and yeah. Ben Simmons is, in theory, going to be healthy and ready to go, which you, it does not seem like he probably would have been, at least, uh, for a potential first-round matchup, just given the way this situation has trended, right? Um, you know, or at least you weren't sure if he was ready. You know, this, Elton Brand has said he thinks he'd be able to play. Um, you know, if you have a healthy Sixer team ready to go, I mean, that's a that's a terrifying team for any team in the league to face, really. Uh, even the best teams. Like, Philly... Philly's been such a con- confounding team all season with its with its highs that are arguably higher than any team and its lows that are as low as any team um that if they can if they can lock in the way they're capable of I mean I almost think I would pick them to beat the Celtics in that series uh and you know probably even maybe even beat Toronto too um just because their sheer talent level if they're playing at the at the way they're capable of is just so much higher than just about every team in the league yeah and maybe you can throw in as well that and you can speak to this but I know there'd been talk uh like Jackie McMullen talked about it on uh, the ESPN pod that Al Horford wasn't quite right physically. He'd been missing some games with yep. uh, the Achilles. Uh, do you think that was a substantial part of his struggles this year? Yeah, I mean, look... The numbers with Al, the numbers with Al are funny, right? Like you go back to last season, not this, not this season, but like his last season in Boston, and back to like December of 2018, there were scouts who were texting me saying, "Is Al done? Right? Like he does not look good. He's yeah. definitely going to pick up his option. His knee, he had knee tendonitis. It was really bothering him, and he shut it down for a while. Um, and then he came back, and he looked like Al Horford again, and he was really good. Um, the rest of the season, and then he opts out. He gets to deal with with Philly and his numbers without Joel Embiid actually were pretty similar to what they were in Boston. And like the, the, the Sixers were pretty good with him on the court without Joel, but the fit with him and Joel was just not good. And I think part of that was yeah. if, if, you know, Al's knee was bothering him again. And if you have to play the four, like he was having to play and be out on the floor and you're not feeling as quick and agile as you normally are. Well, that if, if you're already at a little bit of a disadvantage quickness wise playing against smaller guys, that's only then exacerbated if you, if you're me is bothering you playing that way, right? So I think time off for him would help. Time off for Joel Embiid would undoubtedly help. Time off for Ben Simmons would help. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I I'm think very interested to see what kind of shape. I'm very interested to see what kind of shape Joel is in when he returns. Yeah, that's and listen that that's obviously um, that's obviously the unknown with this, right? Now I think it's the unknown for a lot of these guys where it's just hard to know exactly what um, what kind of shape all of them will be in. Now there is the the benefit of the fact that you probably are going to have a two to three week run up, I would think, before you start. Um, which would give guys a couple weeks to practice and kind of get into game shape, especially if you are just going into a playoff only situation. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, there's a lot, there's just so many unknowns with Philly. It's just, it, it, it would, it would almost be fitting that they come back in this insane season that we've had in the NBA. And after all the ups and downs they had, they go on a run now and like, they like put it together in some random neutral site and like win a couple playoff series and push Milwaukee or maybe beat Milwaukee, who knows, in the conference finals. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're, 
they're to me probably the biggest wild card in the whole league because they could lose to Boston in five games in the first round and flame out and they could you know then change coaches and blow things up or they could legitimately make a run to the finals and I think if you told me either one of those scenarios happened I I wouldn't be that surprised just because they've shown they're capable of doing both those things throughout the season yeah the run to the finals might surprise me because just Milwaukee has been so sure at least at least play Milwaukee tough in the conference finals like get there and give them a real series like I I can understand beating Milwaukee might be a surprise but like Philly Philly could be the team at least they were supposed to be all season or they could flame out and it's just it's just impossible to know which they would which one will uh which one they'll be if it were to be a Toronto Boston matchup Toronto currently the two seed Boston the three how would you see that one shaking out that would probably be if I could pick any series to happen in the playoffs I would probably pick that one um there's other series that would be higher stakes like Clippers Lakers would be great right but I just think that Toronto and Boston are probably the most evenly matched good teams in the league um they've they've the, the coaching matchup would be unbelievable coaching the coaching on both sides would be fantastic yeah both- not just good but but innovative coaches. I mean, I think we would be so locked in on what the adjustments were every game. It would be awesome. Yeah, the, 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 that would be that would be really fun to see. And the other thing that would be fun to see is there, there are two teams that can play in a variety of different ways, right? Like they're, they're very similar rosters. They have a lot of flexibility in terms of whether, you know, the... The Raptors could roll out lineups where they're playing, uh, you know, Pascal Siakam or OG Ananobi at the two with, you know, the other one at the three and then Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka at the four and five, you know, the other way around, Serge Ibaka at the four, Marcus Gasol at the five. They could go super big. They can also go super small where they're playing, you know, especially against Boston. Like if Daniel Tice is out there at center, you could in theory see a situation where the, the Raptors go like super small and you could play like Fred Van Vliet, Kyle Lowry, Norm Powell, OG Ananobi and, Sir, and Pascal Siakam together against Boston, right? And Boston could go super small with, um, you know, Marcus Smart, Kemba Walker, uh, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward, right? Like you could, both teams are really deep and versatile and could go like so many different ways that those matchups, the chess match back and forth would be really fun to watch. Um, the individual matchups would be really fun to watch. I mean, Kyle Lowry versus Kemba Walker would be great. Um, OG Ananobi guarding Jason Tatum would be great. Um, you know, Pascal Siakam uh, would, to me, maybe be the X factor in that series. You know, who does Boston match up with him? Do they try to put Marcus Smart on him? Do they put Gordon Hayward on him? How do they try to match up there? There there just would be so many fun little things to watch. Um, like, that's the series. And the funny thing is, too, the, all these teams have played over the past few years in the East that have been good. Um, you know, Cleveland's played everybody. Indiana's basically played everybody. Um, um, Toronto and Boston have never played and yeah. and all season long both side like in talking to people with both teams both teams were kind of excited about kind of seeing like seeing what that looked like on the court right because like both teams like obviously they're Atlantic division rivals they play four times a year they're very familiar but they haven't played in the playoffs and I, I just think it would be an epic epic series so in terms of who would win I would have picked Toronto to win, I think, just based off having Game 7 at home, because I, I would have definitely picked it to go seven games, and I would have just probably given a coin flip to Toronto. Um, in a situation like this, where it's in a neutral site, if they did play, I would probably want to pick Toronto still. But, you know, the X factor there for me probably would be how Kemba Walker is feeling. Um, He's another guy that his knee was bothering him after the All-Star game and he was not looking like himself. A couple months off probably did him a world of good. And if he came back looking like the guy from early in the season again, um, you know, the Celtics might be just a little bit better. But honestly, to me, that if both sides are healthy, that's 
almost the ultimate coin flip series. And, uh, you know, I could see it just going either way. And I, I, I just would have so much fun watching it. I mean, especially after this layoff we've had. I mean, getting a chance to see yeah. a series like that would be absolutely awesome. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Oh, I, there is one other thing that, that came to mind for me. Yeah. You, you know that Danny and I are both big fans of OG Ananobi. I, I've said, uh, I got asked once in a mailbag of like, who, what one player you would want to defend in isolation <laughs> in the NBA by anybody? Yeah. And, and I said, OG would probably be my number one pick. Um, A, you'd see him probably more regularly than Danny and I do. And you talk to people in the organization. Do you have the same type of opinion about him as a defender that Danny and I do? Or, or are you lower on him? Now? It's He's had such a fascinating career, right? Even though it's only his third season. He comes in as a rookie. He's guarding LeBron fairly effectively, yeah. right? He, he wasn't supposed to even play that year. No. He was, there was talk he might like sit out the season because he had that torn right. ACL. And then he's like, he's starting for them. <laughs> That's right. He, he goes to Indiana, plays for Tom Crean. Uh, Tom Crean. He blows out his knee. People thought he was going to be a lottery pick. He falls to 23. The Raptors take him there. He then comes in as a rookie. I don't I don't remember if he was ready right at the start of the season, but he was early at least. He ends up playing pretty big minutes. Um, guards LeBron, you know, like I said, fairly effectively in that first round, in that second round series that they lost. Um, comes back last season, is pretty much universally seen as the guy, I shouldn't say universally, largely seen as the guy who's going to be the starting forward next to Kawhi Leonard, right, in, in uh, Toronto's front court. He then gets hurt in the preseason, or I, I don't I think he got hurt and he had a death or two in the family. Pascal Siakam blows up, becomes the starter. OG ends up being, you know, have, being in and out of the lineup with injuries all year. He has the appendectomy in the first round, uh, basically is out for the entire playoffs after that, right? Toronto wins without him. It's kind of a completely lost season for him. And then he comes back this year and was, I think, really good. Um, like you said, he's a mountain of a human being. I mean, he's 6'8 and just a block of granite. And I, I agree with your sentiment. Like, I, I don't remember what, I, I think that was, I don't know if it was like January or February, but when I, I was listening to that mailbag pod when you said that, and I would say the same thing. Like he, he is both big enough and fast enough to guard any wing player in the league. Um, and like that goes for guys like Kawhi, who you know, super strong, and LeBron, and he can also guard guys like Jason Tatum, who are quicker, right? Like he, um, he's just he's really become a, a, ter- a terrific player for them this year. And you know, Toronto isn't obviously quite the same team without Kawhi, but they have a lot of the same characteristics in terms of being able to play different styles and guard virtually any team. And a lot of that is because. Because, you know, they have both OG and Pascal on the wings who they can throw at, you know, virtually any pair of wing players, wing slash bigs, and say, all right, you guys go guard the two best players on the other team and lock them down. Um, and, and OG, you know, has certainly, you know, returned to the form that Toronto thought he was as a rookie, thought he had as a rookie. And, you know, yeah, I mean, he's, he was having a really, really good year and, um, you know, was, a, was one of these guys that I was going to be curious to see what happened with his extension negotiations this fall because it was one of those situations where do you bet on his potential or do you kind of wait and see if he does it again in his fourth year? Now, obviously, we have a whole new range of um, things thrown into the mix that it's hard to know. Yeah. But yeah, in terms of, yeah. if, to go back to your original thing, if I'm picking one guy to guard uh, in an isolation in the league, I, I think I'm with you. I think I would pick OG because he's just so, he's so big and strong uh, and quick that I, I think he can handle just about anything that's thrown his way. 
Yeah, I mean, and, you know, if we're talking about getting over a screen or help defense, you know, maybe he's not the, the absolute best guy. But, yeah, just straight up guarding someone one-on-one. I, I agree with you there. Yeah, and, and the extension will be interesting because they have, in theory, this 2021 plan where they, they want to get into the Giannis sweepstakes, and so he'll have a smaller cap hold. They may not want to uh, Oh, yeah, I wasn't even thinking about that. Yeah, they, they, they almost um, certainly wouldn't want to do that. Um, but I mean, unless he comes cheap, obviously, and who know, I mean, who knows? I mean, that rookie extensions are going to be another just completely ridiculous. It's going to be a very fascinating six months whenever we get, if the playoffs happen and then we get to the off season, because that, I mean, we haven't even touched on that, but there's so many things that have to be sorted out from a, a financial oh, yeah. and business standpoint for the league going forward that, um, and next season with the lack of fan, I mean, there's just, there's a ton of stuff on that side of things that, you know, right now the league is obviously focused on trying to get back on the court, but while they're on the court, they're going to be having to figure out all that other stuff because, you know, that's going to potentially have an impact not just on next season, but on the next few years beyond that, too. Yeah. All right, man. Well, this was great. Thanks so much uh, for joining us. You can follow Tim's work uh, at ESPN. Uh, of course, uh, we uh, appreciate all the reporting that you're doing. And uh, Danny and I will be back tomorrow. We will talk to you all then. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.